0: Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna.
1: And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 1, Chapter 11, A Knife in the Dark, exploring the relationship of stress and trauma
0: in community. So... Ellen, as I was thinking about today's chapter, I think we should just make a sweeping declaration that we're going to talk about stress and trauma in community, but as a reminder, we are not experts, we are Mm -hmm. not therapists, Mm -hmm. we are just two sisters who have a podcast, and so if you are somewhere on a journey dealing with trauma- Um, as a reminder, there are many resources that can help you with those things, and likely this podcast isn't it unless it's just entertainment purposes.
1: Yeah, we're definitely not on the list. We are wildly unqualified for most things. Certainly this would be on that list as well.
0: Absolutely. But having said that, what thoughts do you have just kind of generally about this topic this morning, or this afternoon, I should say?
1: You know, I... Just enjoy this chapter so much mm-hmm. that I was really looking forward to slicing and dicing it in any sort of meaningful way where we can get deeper into into the chapter itself mm-hmm. because this is really where, where the adventure and the drama starts happening and not to spoil things too much, but it is traumatic and there is stress and it does, I think, strengthen the community bonds Of the fellowship
0: moving forward absolutely i know this chapter it feels like we've had such a long lead up to something and then so many things happen all in one chapter that it's just like an onslaught of activity and trauma and relationship building and some backstory and song i mean there's a lot there's a lot happening in this chapter so i'm looking forward to our discussion today
1: Yeah, this makes up for the first three chapters where we only went to a birthday party.
0: That's right. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. Well, having said all that, you are in charge of our story today. Um, What did you have to share about trauma and stress in community?
1: So for my story today, I wanted to talk about a community-wide traumatic moment uh, that I thought a lot of people would be able to relate to personally. The COVID-19 pandemic. So I was in New York during those first months of 2020, when New York City was the epicenter of the United States outbreak. And I remember just seeing all sorts of really unusual things during that time. There was a field hospital that got set up in Central Park, and I remember uh, running past that and seeing it as it started to handle the overflow from nearby hospitals. I lived near Times Square at that time, and it was really wild seeing all of the Broadway theaters go dark and then eventually be blocked off by these rows of large coach buses that were meant to ferry medical workers to and from the hotels in Times Square that they were staying at while they were either coming in from out of state, or just didn't want to stay at home with their families and risk infecting the people that they lived with. And so I have two stories for you today about this time. One is from spring 2020, and the other one is from spring 2021. So in March of 2020, the week that I began working from home, I went out to our neighborhood gift shop to buy a puzzle puzzle. Because I was thinking that we would be spending a lot of time indoors in the coming weeks. And, you know, I would need something to, to occupy my time. And the gift shop was like a classic gift shop. It was pretty small and there was nobody else in there except for myself and the woman behind the register. And she looked like she was maybe in her early 20s. And so I found the puzzle and I began to chat with her as she rang me up. And that's that's an unusual move for me. The chatting with the person behind the register is not something that I would normally do, and I don't see it very often here in the city. But we discussed really the uncertainty that we both had about the future and how she wasn't sure what was going to happen with her other job, where she worked as an usher at a Broadway theater nearby. And later that day, they actually announced that Broadway was going dark for two weeks, LOL. Ended up being a little bit longer than that. But I tell this story because the fear and the stress that we both had helped us to make a brief connection. And I remember leaving that store with my puzzle, feeling just a little bit better. Part two of today's story comes to you from March 2021, where the pandemic is not yet over, but things had turned around so dramatically in New York City at that point that it might as well have been. In the same neighborhood around Times Square, there are a lot of restaurants open, bustling with the advent of outdoor dining, but just as many didn't make it through the worst of the pandemic, and there were a lot of empty, boarded-up storefronts. A A group of neighbors- came together and decided to turn one of those storefronts in, in the neighborhood into the first free store that, that that block had seen. And so people leave what they can and they take what they need. It fills up and it empties out almost every day. And it is entirely staffed by volunteers. And since that that opened this spring, They have since organized a neighborhood swap meet, which had some live music, and it was, you know, sort of like a free garage sale. Everybody came with stuff. You could take whatever you want, bring what you want, as well as some other community events that they're now hosting in partnership with other neighborhood organizations. When it it comes to individual experiences, I'm really wary of trying to make meaning of horrible events like this by searching for a silver lining, because I think that can feel really patronizing. But when looking at something from the broader scope of the community, I I do feel more comfortable doing that and really proud that this neighborhood has bounced back with a stronger community ties than it had before, partially coming to life through this free store.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important to name the distinction between an individual experience or an individual's experience and the sort of broader community reality, because there is such a need in our brains to make sense of major moments like this, and sometimes we have to accept that there isn't a larger purpose to it, there isn't that sort of rationale that we're looking for, and yet there can be moments of pride, good moments, loving moments, in the midst of chaos, and to acknowledge and accept those, and to fan the flame for those to occur more frequently, I think is a, is a very healthy response to an otherwise very disordered world and general intense experience. As I was researching a little bit for this, because I wanted to kind of understand maybe the psychological definition of what trauma is and make sure that we weren't misusing that to the extent, again, that we are not experts but could be intentional in our, our language. And really what I found interesting is that there are sort of three types of trauma that came up as I was sort of googling about the the internet. And those are acute chronic, and complex. So acute being usually from a single event that creates trauma. Chronic is often from ongoing exposure. So if you're continually immersed in trauma, and then complex is exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events. So that really helped me to kind of organize my thinking too, and to put a little bit of language to the world around us. And I think, you know, transitions us into thinking about what Frodo's experience has been through the book. Um, and to really think about he is experiencing both kind of individual cute moments, while also this overall journey could be considered, I think, a much more chronic exposure to intense fear and intense physical demands and that ultimately that's a very complex traumatic experience that our protagonist is experiencing
1: thank you for listening to my story and i'm excited to move into our chapter discussion Because, again, so much does happen here. Mm -hmm. Can you run us through the the main plot points from this chapter?
0: So, without being too casual, the big plot points are that there is essentially a break-in at the inn where our group of protagonists is staying, their room is ransacked, They leave the inn with Strider, and the community kind of sees them off. They walk from Buckland and ultimately to a place called Weathertop. At Weathertop, they discover that Gandalf has been there, possibly. There are some signs that we think allow us to come to that conclusion. And that they are also being pursued... And the chapter really culminates in an interaction between Frodo and the Ring Wraiths, where Frodo is wearing the ring and can see them very clearly, and then is pierced by the sword of one of the ring Wraiths, and then the chapter ends.
1: Yeah, we're really we're left in a cliffhanger here. I think it it ends with Frodo
0: actively pierced Mm hmm Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now. Yeah. Let's see here. Right, so the last, let's see, two sentences of the chapter are... Even as he swooned, he caught, as through a swirling mist, a glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. With a last effort Frodo, dropping his sword, slipped the ring from his finger and closed his right hand tight upon it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are in the drama there.
0: So dramatic. So dramatic. You did a
1: good job of, I think, covering everything in the chapter there. The one plot point that you left out Mm. that I think deserves special mention, because, you know, long live Samwise Gamgee, he bops Bill Fernie right in the nose with a well-aimed apple. (laughs) <laughs> and I say, go, Sam.
0: <laughs> yeah, we get a little depth of Sam's character here. Not only does he throw his apple at Bill, but he also... Knows a song about some Elvish lore that we believe Bilbo had translated from Elvish. And so Sam sings that to the group as we're starting to have some chit chat around the fire um, and to take our minds off the stress of these oncoming foes. And you're just like, okay, we have not talked about Sam really for this specifically in a couple of chapters, and now all of a sudden he's got this, like, depth and breadth to him that we're learning a bit more about, which I love.
1: Do you think he kind of hummed that tune to himself while he was cutting all of the grass at Bag End?
0: I love that idea, and so whether that's true or not, I am now saying that's canon. That's
1: canon. (laughs) I mean, it's probably true. Seems real to me.
0: <laughs> that's it's real. It's real to us. So mm-hmm. that's what matters for the purpose of this podcast. Hashtag it's real for us. Hashtag always. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag always. Um, that's that's a whole different thing. So that's kind of the broad swath of what happens in the chapter. But where did you see examples of either community pu- pulling together through stress or trauma? or single events, maybe, of stress or trauma.
1: The first one that really stood out to me was the Hobbit community's response to the Black Riders in Buckland. So that's earlier in the chapter. Before we catch back up with Frodo, we get to hear what happened to good old Fatty Bulger, and he is now set upon in this house by the Black Riders. But, fear not, Fatty sees them coming, As soon as he saw the dark shapes creep from the garden, he knew that he must run for it or perish, and run he did. So Fatty runs away and is able to communicate to the other hobbits that there are foes in Buckland. And here's the quote that I'd like us to look at. Quote, fear, fire, foes. The brandy bucks were blowing the horn call of Buckland that had not been sounded for a hundred years, not since the white wolves came in the fell winter when the brandy wine was frozen over. Awake, awake! And then all of the other answering horns are heard. The alarm is spread. But this stood out to me because obviously these wolves, who had come, you know, a hundred years ago and terrorized Buckland, had had such a deep impact on the, the psyche of this community that we now have a whole alarm system. And even though I'm guessing, you know, it, I, it says in the book, it hasn't been heard since this time. People are ready. They know where it is. They know how to use it. They know what's going to happen when we blow it. And I was just impressed that they had such a robust system to deal with the Black Riders, because I don't think the Shire Hobbits would have.
0: No, and it is interesting, too, that the alarm is fear, fire, foes. So fear, okay, generally something bad is happening, fire, maybe because that's the most likely potential event that they thought they would need to communicate when building this system, as well as then foes as our third word. So it's a very interesting alarm that's being sounded, and that it's kind of these three words to be like, generally bad things are happening, but also here are two primary examples of bad things that we mm-hmm. anticipate may happen. And right. the wolves really seeming like it would fall into the foe, so I'm intrigued that, like, has there ever been a fire? And if it, the horn hasn't been blown in like a hundred years, where did- how did that show up? Where did- where is that language coming from?
1: Yeah, I don't know. If they haven't had a fire in 100 years, OSHA would be very impressed, because that seems to be a long time to go without even one accidental flame.
0: That's right. Like, what, 30,000 days since our last incident? Yes.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, and for the Shire, it would be like all of them, all of the days. There has never been an incident, and so we are unprepared.
0: Since we started counting days, there have Mm -hmm. been no incidents.
1: Zero incidents. So it's good, I think, that this happened in Buckland where we could be prepared and uh, all of the other hobbits come a running and the Black Riders are scared away. I mean, they rode like a gale to the North Gate and you know, were successfully driven out by this community, which I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that, but I'm, I'm deeply impressed. My next example that I have is on page 205. So this is after Frodo and the gang have left the village. And Strider says, quote, This is where we leave the open and take to cover. And Pippin responds, Not a shortcut, I hope. Our last shortcut through woods nearly ended in disaster. And I remember... It wasn't that many days ago, but the the stress of that experience, which did almost get them caught by a Black Rider, is obviously still weighing on Pippin's mind here. And he says it in sort of a joking way, but I do think that he remembers how disastrously that went and how the stakes are even higher here and they don't want to make a wrong move and end up in, in the clutches of their foe.
0: I think that shows up to, as Strider is sort of chastising in earnest the language that the group is using later, so to really caution them against using the word Mordor, and to remind Frodo from saying that he would become a wraith just because he was becoming very thin from their lack of continual snacks. And to me, those feel like very learned responses, or that are steeped in the stress of the previous, maybe, reign of of Mordor and Sauron, and that Aragorn, Strider, has some knowledge of that. And so I saw a very similar pattern of, like, clearly you've experienced something that the language you're using is a learned response from those moments, um, and it's it's steeped in previous stress.
1: Yeah, language has such power, and this is the second time now somebody with more knowledge than the hobbits has warned them of, of when and where to talk about these things. Remember Gandalf said, you know, there are things that are better left to speak of in, in the daylight. The last time that Frodo was trying to discuss Mordor with him... So yes, I agree with you there. That's right. I had one more example, and this one, a lot, a lot of this chapter is this story with Luthien and Tinuvial and a-, a lot of Elven names that I am medium interested in. So we can talk about that in a second. But as a coping mechanism for dealing with moments of stress, or even anxiety i love storytelling as a way to distract your brain and and move it uh, away from whatever troubles are pressing in to to think of something else i remember i was at a a tourist attraction at some point that has a very tall skinny dark winding staircase and there's no elevator to the top you can only take the staircase and there was a girl and her family behind us, and the girl was in middle school, and she started to have almost a, a panic attack of, about how dark and seemingly never-ending the staircase was. But by engaging her brain and asking her, what, what grade are you in? Do you play any sports? Tell me about those sports. And, you know, eliciting a bit of storytelling there, able to redirect her mind Similar here to what Strider is doing to redirect the the stress and the fear of of the Hobbits. So I I like the the story in that sense. I don't know. What do you think of the story as far as its actual plot?
0: I don't know. It was a very interesting choice. And Strider says, and now I won't be able to find the quote, but he talks a little bit about how so many of the Middle Earth stories are like sad or melancholy or bittersweet or something to that effect. And I just had lots of questions around why choose to tell those stories? What community values did those tell us about maybe Middle-earth broadly or this sort of elven culture more specifically? And then also kind of thinking about, again, Sam's unlikely knowledge of this, in part at least, and why maybe Bilbo was drawn to that story as well. So it was just a very interesting, lengthy, star-crossed lover-y kind of vibe.
1: Yes, we love a star-crossed lover story. Plenty of good ones out there. Is Tenuvial going to be up there with the cave of the lovers in Avatar The Last Airbender? I don't know. That's right. Yes, they're my favorite star-crossed lovers. But here's the quote you were looking for, Anna. Quote, it is a fair tale, though it is sad, as are all the tales of Middle-earth, and yet it may lift up your hearts. And then he chants, you know, the whole, the whole story. So yeah, I, I kind of missed that. I think my brain knew what was coming and just sort of started glazing over this bit. But it is interesting that he says, all the tales of Middle-earth are fair and sad. Like, not, not one good story?
0: Right, like, no one ever told a story about, like, someone overcoming an obstacle (laughs) and making a name for themselves, or really lifting up the community, no battles won, nothing, nothing that's, like, a real sort of mood booster. Nope, guess not. (laughs) Nope, they're all sad and they're all fair. Great. Oh, okay. Super. (laughs) And
1: then everybody died.
0: So, yeah, that's the end of the story. (laughs) Like okay this campfire is a real bummer and I am not distracted enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that there isn't something less deathly to share at this point but you know Strider did his best. And so those were the those are the examples that I had relating to today's theme. I did also just have one funny note. The there we saw a strong community response in the interest of the team leaving Brie, which doesn't really relate to today's exact theme, but I will read one of the quotes because it made me chuckle. Quote, most of the inhabitants of Bree and Staddle, and many even from Coombe and Arquet, were crowded in the road to see the travelers start. The other guests in the inn were at the doors or hanging out of the windows. So this just, it, it drew a funny picture in my mind of all of these people like nose smushed up against the glass watching everybody leave oh my god did you see that striders going with the hobbits wow where are they going and just the the gossip and the busybodyness that must have come out of this moment just you know happy that the community has had something to look forward to and chat about
0: i like too that strider kind of acknowledges that there's no way for them to leave quietly at this point So it's not that he's leaning into this moment or soliciting this moment, as much as he is just resigned to the fact that everybody cares about this because this is the biggest series of events to happen in Brie in, like, forever. Forever,
1: yes. (laughs) Did you have any examples from today's chapter that you wanted
0: to talk about? I think a small one that I was thinking about is this tower near or on Weathertop called amun Sure. <laughs> amun they called it. It was burned and broken and nothing remains of it now, but a tumbled ring like a rough crown on the old hill's head. So again, that's a quote from 209. And then they get to this space and talk a little bit more about, let's see, on 211... On the top they found, as Strider had said, a wide ring of ancient stonework, now crumbling or covered with age-long grass. But in the center, a cairn of broken stones had been piled. They were blackened as if with fire. About them the turf was burned to the roots, and all within the ring the grass was scorched and shriveled as if flames had swept the hilltop, but there was no sign of any living thing. And I thought this was an interesting metaphor for the way that stress and trauma can create scars, sometimes visible, and then we sort of talk and they become part of how we understand our own personal landscape in addition to an actual scar on the physical earth. But also, you know, sometimes they aren't as noticeable. Sometimes they are less less noticeable to us, but certainly less noticeable to others. And do we give enough weight to things that are harder for us to see as far as a trauma or stress response to something and give it the same weight that we do when we can see it so very clearly? And um, I don't know that we are always as good with that which is unseen. So I was thinking a little bit about that when thinking about this ring that's now part of the lore and the landscape of Weathertop.
1: I like that. It may, and it makes me think of actual scars on actual land as well. Like not even looking past it to the metaphor, but just literally how what humans can do can leave scars on the land, even if it's not always visible. So, I I, I see I see that connection there that that you've pointed us to.
0: Yeah, that was really it. And then I'm sure we'll talk. In our next chapter, more about scars and healing and and what that looks like up close given how our last chapter has ended. So that's really kind of the last major event, both stressful and traumatic, I would argue, as far as poor little Frodo and his now very pierced shoulder. Is there anything else from this chapter that you
1: want to draw our attention to?
0: I do like um and want to call our attention to the pony that they receive from bill Bill Turney, bill the pony gives
1: bill the pony
0: yes and that so bill the pony when they first buy him from bill Turney is like not really your jazzy journey pony right like this is not your sports model this is not you know someone that you're really excited about joining the group they're just kind of like this is
1: this is a hand-me-down pony
0: there's a hand-me-down pony who, like, maybe is not quite near dying, but we talked a lot about dying around this pony. And then as the journey goes on, like, Bill the pony kind of picks up his step and feels like he's all excited to be on a journey, and I just liked that little note as I read.
1: Yeah, Bill. It, Bill's the hero. He, we love him now, and we'll come to love him even more as we... As we journey on with him. But
0: Bill's the hero that we should all strive to be like. Absolutely. So, Ellen, thank you so much for walking us through those examples in the chapter. Would you like to share your action item for us today?
1: Yes. My takeaway for you all today. The next time that you get rung up at a register... I would like you to make eye contact and say thank you to the person who is checking you out. If there's nobody behind you and you're feeling extra spicy, maybe you could even strike up a conversation, but the, the takeaway is to just make eye contact and say thank you. So for a lot of us, COVID has taken away the ability to have a lot of these casual interactions with acquaintances in the community and I think being intentional about trying to once again have those casual interactions with strangers will make the world
0: nicer for everyone. I love that. The more we can recognize one another's humanity, the more we have a chance of making it through some of these bigger events in community together. So I think that's really important. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs>
1: Today's podcast was brought to you by Striders Stories and Songs. You've heard a few, but there are many more to come. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, And thank you for joining us
0: today in fellowship. Part of this chapter, I was reading to my partner out loud. Um, sometimes this is just fun to do and we were, we were at a friend's house and it was in the morning so I felt like I really needed to be quiet and I was whispering, reading the first half of this chapter. And let me say there is a whole nother level that was unlocked as these shadowy figures are creeping about and there's all of this fear and stress and sort of insidiousness that we're talking about when you have to whisper it to a person. So I was really, uh, I really felt like that was a new experience for my reading this chapter as well.
1: I love that. I'm glad you were able to engage with it on that next level. Reading aloud is great.
0: Reading aloud is great. Whispering reading out loud (laughs) is a whole new thing.